Glory, glory, Sacramento. Welcome to the 916 Republic Podcast. I'm your host, Scott. And I'm your host, Nolan. Just starting off today's podcast with a couple administrative notes before we get into it today. Mm. Um, First of all, just a shout out to our one listener from Bonnie Lake, Washington. I was so surprised when I got on our uh, podcast provider website and um, saw that. I was like, what in the world? Who is listening to us from Washington? And I did a little Google Maps search, and it turns out Bonnie Lake is 15.6 miles away from Tacoma, hmm. who are home to the Tacoma FC. Deco- D- Tacoma Defiance. Whatever. I forget. They change their name so many times, I forget. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to us. Yeah. Sorry we made fun of your team so much. Yeah. If that's, your, if that's who you are. <laughs> I mean, it's great that you support the young people of America, and <laughs> we love you. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Cool. Um, shout out to that person. That's cool. We also had a listener from Portland. Please keep listening to us. And yeah, that's lots of fun. Uh, in other news, we are now on Spotify. You can search us in the Spotify app at 916 Republic, and we will pop up. So that's awesome. Um, so you will no longer have to stream us off the internet if you don't have an iPhone. And we will be on Google Play by 1022 Wednesday morning. May 15th. So they emailed me today at 10:22 a.m. and said you will be you are approved by Google Play and your podcast will be on Google Play by mm. the next 24 hours. We're getting out there. We're getting out there, baby. We got listeners and stuff. We sure do. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just me listening to us 13 times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think that's how that works. Because I, there would be about 50 listens for that first episode. That's true. I listened to it four times in a row as soon as it was posted. Oh my gosh. I'm not even lying. So anyway, we love we love to hear our own voices. And speaking of loving to hear our own voices, <laughs> Scott, I'm going to give you a chance to listen to yourself talk. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Actually, okay. I'm going to ask you one question. Mm. And the question is this: What were your observations from the Reno game this past Saturday? Okay, well, Sacramento Republic fans, buckle in because uh, <laughs> it's going to get rough here for a few minutes. Rough and uh, choppy. Okay, so my first observation right off the bat, and so. Uh, full disclosure, Nolan and I were at this game yes. with a bunch of friends. So we were kind of explaining how like soccer works yeah. while also trying to watch the game. So like there so we have a friend that we we play fantasy football with. We Who's actually we play fantasy football with. Yeah. Um the last episode, but he brought his son, um, which was super fun. Um his, his son's like nine, so yeah. I was trying to like explain soccer to him. It's his first like professional soccer game, even though he's like played soccer like youth soccer and stuff this was his first game so i'm explaining like oh this guy did that really well or see how that happened and like kind of deep and complex things like <laughs> oh do you see how they're trying to switch play to like create miracle advantages and this guy's gonna move here and then that and he was like oh, broke okay. every yeah. rule of coaching a you <laughs> yeah athlete yeah. what you want to do is take the ball with your foot no um so we were like watching the game but also trying to like explain how life works to like 10 other people yeah um So, but my first thing that I noticed from sitting on the end line was there was a lot of space in the middle that Reno was conceding to Sacramento. And I think that's because of how they lined up. And you said something uh, just before we recorded the show about how their forwards played really wide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because they played a 4-3-1-2 with very wide forwards with the hopes of doing two things. One, defensively, putting pressure on both the center backs and the fullbacks. With just those two guys, mm-hmm. they were able to shift uh, slightly their positioning between the center backs and fullbacks, so that no matter 
which four guys had the ball in the back line, there's always a forward that could pressure them quickly. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, that central attacking midfielder could then exploit the, sp- the space that was hopefully created by the center backs being pulled out and open um, or just just open. So this put a lot of pressure on the whole back line, shutting off passes to Ray Sari because that, that number 10, and I can't remember his name. I'll pull it up here um, in, in a second. But that number 10 was then sitting behind Ray Sari so that Ray Sari could receive the pass, but then he would pressure him so that he couldn't make any further passes. So There were a lot of back passes. There were a game. lot of back passes in this game. Um, Mifeka is the number 10 that played yeah. for Reno. Yeah, that sounds right. Mpka. Lindo yep. is his first name. Yeah. And I, I, I've heard, I, I remember him from, from last season. He's, he's pretty good. Um, and all of these guys are fast. Corey Herzog, not so much, but definitely Brian Brown and Mpka and um, Mendiola was, yeah, Mendiola was quicking our guys at the end for the third or fourth, for the third goal. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. and so, But that's what I noticed right off the bat. was like, wow, is it, there's a lot of space in the middle. I wonder how Sacramento is going to exploit that. That was my thought. The answer was they didn't ever <laughs> exploit that. And I, I think that kind of shows how there is a maybe a bit of a lack of um, uh, somebody that can make that game-breaking pass, whether it's it from you know a midfielder or center back, which... I think when Sacramento has been successful scoring goals before a lot of the plays have started with our center backs spreading balls out wide or playing passes through the lines in the middle. That didn't happen this game because the center backs were under pressure. So that was the first thing I noticed, but Nolan, you wrote something down here about Sam Werner. What did you notice about Sam Werner? Yeah. Sam Werner was absolutely unstoppable for about 50, for the first 15 minutes of the game. Um, there were leading in the, play leading up to the first goal i believe that he beat a defender got a cross in and then it got deflected and then the ball went out and then tanner had his wonder goal but um and then even before that he was just like he made like three guys as he was dribbling down the left wing and then um yeah just was putting guys on their butt and it was fantastic and it was super entertaining to watch because it was uh in, at, at the end of the pitch where the supporter section was and that's where we were sitting and like yeah, the first half the first half yeah yeah and i like he he was so good and like after one of his amazing dribbles that didn't result in uh it resulted in a cross i think but um like i saw i saw a couple i saw one of the, the guys standing in front of us like got up and like bowed to him and worshiped him I was like, oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh like jim shout out to jim yeah shout out to jim um but anyway so that was 15 minutes first 15 minutes of the game and then he absolutely, and then in my mind, like I, I said, I was saying this to our our friend who knows soccer that we were with. I was like, dude, and he was the same way. He was on the Sam Werner bandwagon. Like, this guy's amazing. I love Sam Werner. Wow, he's so talking good. about Zach? Yeah, Zach. Okay. Yeah. Might Talk be on Zach. the show later. Not today, Zach but. might be on the show. Yeah. A later He's episode. played college soccer. He has played college yeah. soccer. So we are going to pick his brain. Yeah. About all things. Anyway, so he was like, I love Sam Werner. I love Sam Werner. And then uh, I do too. But uh, the thing was. Sam Werner disappeared from the game for the next 75 minutes, which mm. was really sad to see. And I kept noticing, I kept like reminding Zach, I was like, hey, what has Sam Werner done like since we since we scored our goal? And like, oh, I don't know. Well, he's, he's good. He just got stopped. I was like, yeah, that's the point. They shut him down. Like they figured him out. 
and they shut him down. He, I looked at the, and to prove it, I went to the stats and I was like, well, what can I, what can, so he had, I went to the heat map, uh, and looked at the number of touches that he had inside the 18. He had four touches inside the 18 in the first 26 minutes and zero in the next, uh, 74. Okay. So nothing happening in the box, nothing happening in the box. And he still had like some touches that were like in the middle of the field and on the left wing, but he just, he would get the ball and then they would either dispossess him or force a pass away like a back pass to the um to the left back or um so in a few instances they dispossessed him of the ball so um he showed a lot of promise but then it was also like oh they you know they probably just weren't in it in my mind it was like is this because he's like a young college kid and like or a young college player former college player who don't get me wrong was a f- fantastic ncaa athlete like he scored the game winner uh in extra time in their two, 2017 NCAA final against, I think it was Virginia, because I was looking it up. I was like, how good was this guy? And Because and, he played for Standard, but Stanford, he was an amazing athlete and still is. But I just don't know if he's completed the jump from NCAA soccer, which is a very high level, to second division USL, which has uh, grown in uh, the caliber of players that you're up against right in the past three to four years so. right that was yeah. my observation yeah and for sam warner it, it, it's true like we've seen this now for a few games the first anywhere from the first 15 to like 25 minutes he's electric he's able to just find all of this space and just put defenders on their back and make them look silly but there have also been games where he's been pretty well shut down. I go back to the Portland game, although that's kind of an outlier because yeah. it was just a crazy game. Um, I, I go back to m- multiple different instances where he's looked good, but there hasn't recently, at least, been as much production in terms of how many... Uh, chances it feels like he should be creating yeah it's the same type of argument that we've had about Bijev. he'll create he'll get in dangerous positions but then he won't be able to get the ball off his foot werner takes it a step further he'll get the ball out out of his feet but it doesn't come of anything mm. so maybe that's not 100 percent his fault yeah but he has to be able to take some of that yeah responsibility yeah i mean I do think he offers way more defensively than Bijev. So okay. in that instance, like upgrade, yeah. but it's not like he's scoring goals and what, stuff like that. One promising thing that I came across when I was kind of looking him up today was he seems to be, he has a history of coming up big in big moments. So the win, the game winner in extra in like the 120th minute, literally against Virginia in the 2017 and so the NCAA final, he scored the winning penalty in a penalty shootout against Wake Forest in the semifinal, um, I think the season before that, in which they also won the NCAA tournament. Mm. And he's won the NCAA tournament three times. Like that's a, You're putting the, a lot of stock in that. Do you, I think it's important because we have a lot of pl- former NCAA players that are now playing in the USL, two that are starting in this squad alone. Oh, I'm sure there's I'm more, sure there's more than you that. Look at the, yeah. I, there has to be. I just Painter. don't know. I mean, even the guy that I was looking at, uh, James Giffey, who we'll talk about later, but he played for UCSB. Cameron Owasa played for UC Irvine or UC Santa Barbara as well. Santa Barbara. Santa yeah. Barbara, yeah. Um, 
So it seems to be important. Cameron yeah. Moss is our top goal scorer, and he's hurt. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he was our probably our best player last year too. So yeah, yeah. Um, but you so you mentioned Drew Skundrick, and you said he didn't impress for you in central midfield. We didn't have time to to talk about this beforehand, but yeah. could could you just kind of walk me through that? Like, why do you think he didn't impress you? He so he was playing in the center of a midfield behind a lone striker in mm-hmm. Tyler Blackwood. Um, and he just didn't look like he had grown into that responsibility that, he, that, that position demands. Like he just couldn't right feed Blackwood anything really. He couldn't like run onto, I mean, granted it, it, it was just a bad game for, every, for the, in general, it almost feels like he's a number eight trying to play a number 10 position. Yeah. But which he, is like, weird because Aiden there. Partain is kind of naturally more that number 10. Yeah. And he was playing more as a number eight. eight. Skundrick played in the 10 for Stanford because I looked this up too. I was like, was he playing out of position? Like, is that it? Yeah. And he played at the heart of their, the center of their midfield. Um, so. Yeah. But Stanford doesn't really play like a possession. Like, we're going to yeah, break yeah, you down yeah. with all these passes. They're just going to run past you yeah. and send balls over the top of you. Yeah. So. How do. I don't really know if that's a good description of him. Yeah. In in college, at least. Yeah. That's one thing that I wanted to, I just didn't have time to look up, but. Yeah. How do, how different is the style of play in the NCAA versus USL? uh, So from what, from what I can tell, no, I mean, it it is, but at the same time, like we're talking about transitioning from college to the professional, professional life. And as the standard in USL rises, I think that transition is going to be harder and harder yeah. for these players that aren't good enough to play in Major League Soccer. So they're going to drop down to this level, which is fine. Yeah. But if this level keeps rising and college doesn't, then there's going to be fewer and fewer players that can make it not only in Major League Soccer, but also in USL. So I think the difference between the style of um, play in in USL in college would be college is tend to be a bit more direct because you have such a short amount of time to prepare your team for games. It's very easy to say, Hey, it's, we don't care about what the other teams are going to play. We don't care about, um, what personnel we have go that way. Just run forward. (laughs) And, and it's also very easy to say, we know how they're going to try to attack us. They're going to try to go this way and yeah. run that way. So we're going to have bigger, more athletic players that can run harder for the 90 minutes. Yeah. And it also means that you don't need as technically gifted players. You need athletically gifted players. It's, a, it's easier to find athletes that you, you know what they're going to give you than if you get a technically gifted player at maybe a high level in the youth system that might be great but is that necessarily going to translate to the college game where you have everyone at a higher level not necessarily so i think that's part of the problem maybe with american not only youth sports but then going into like college sports like you you're just a gifted athlete then it looks like you're a step above but what are you really doing to improve your overall game not just your physical ability so now you take Drew Skundrick, who has a motor, yeah. who run all over the field, 
and did that in college, dominated doing that in college was with a bunch of other guys that were very good at what they did. And you put him into a squad that is so far proving to be above average USL squad, not a elite USL squad. And he has to do more than just run and stick his foot in to make a tackle. He has to be able to finish finish the dribble chances that are in front. Player, yeah. He has to dribble, yeah, maybe through a player. He has to make a difficult pass, not an obvious pass. So I think that's the difference. I think you're asked to do a little bit more, have be a bit more uh, well-rounded player in the professional game, where in college you can get away with just being an athletically gifted player. Hmm. That's interesting. I heard, I was talking to a guy who trains with the NCAA team at uh, UC Davis, and he he said almost the exact same thing. He said, bro, the guys that, that play on this team are just straight athletes. He's like, yeah, I'm not being like, he, and he was like, I'm not being, you know, whatever, cocky or whatever. I'm a better dribbler of the ball. I'm a better, I can, you know, dribble through these guys, but I can't keep up with them. Like, that's my, that's, so I'm just not going to fit into that system as well. Like I need to get fit. So it's kind of, kind of interesting that. Yeah. And it's kinda... if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably more inclined to listen to podcasts about soccer. So yeah. a good podcast to listen to about uh, youth sports and kind of the, the underbelly of the American soccer world in terms of youth sports would be the top drawer soccer show. Um, that's kind of where I get a lot of my information about youth sports and college um, for youth sports for soccer and, and college and, and stuff like that. So, Good uh, stuff. yeah. Yeah. And then we also, Scott, I know you mentioned, and you kind of gave me like a look the minute, the second this error was made, but there was another error in goal. I did this. I hold yeah, up yeah, four. Yeah. He held up forehand. Like four he was a row in front errors. of me. He looks back and he's like four, <laughs> like four keeper errors that have led to goals from, from Cohen uh, there's there's no defense. Yeah. He fumbled the ball just like your Liverpool keeper in the final of the yeah. Champions League last year. That was a little bit worse than Cohen's mistake. Yeah, it was a little bit. I would have a hard time crediting myself with the goal that was scored with Garrett Bale's just like desperate attempt that was not very that just like slipped through his hands. Like yeah. I, I, I could take credit Mignolet, for the goal. or was that that was Curious? Curious, yeah, yeah. Who now plays in Turkey? Yeah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we just like reminisce and like, oh, sad, poor guy. Liverpool almost won. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> Again, uh, but yeah. yeah, it was. There, there's no defense. It was. No. It was a keeper error. Again, his third in the past two games. Yeah. Right. Yes. He had a div- he had a in Las Vegas, yeah. Well, we did Vegas, then Vegas. Fresno. So, so oh. third in the past three games. Three games, yeah. Um, and the only question that I I wrote down was when do we need to start talking about a keeper change? That's are, good... are we there yet? I guess is the question. I don't think so. Has he given himself a little bit longer leash because of his amazing yeah. 2018 this, season? I was just about to bring this up. Is that it's not that Cohen is a keeper who hasn't really proved himself yet. We know that he can, that he has performed at the highest level uh, that a goalkeeper can in the USL. So, like, last year was the reason that we finished second. Cohen was probably one of the, the top three reasons we finished in the he, second He was probably the place. second best player 
for Sacramento. Behind First would be Owasa, and then second would be Cohen. I, I have no problem saying that. Yeah, because Owasa got us the one to two goals we scored all season. Yeah. And then Cohen kept the clean sheets that got us the yeah. points we needed. And, and people will say, oh, well, maybe Cohen was, you know, if you look Had at the stats, he was the better, well, he was the better goalie in terms of goalies across the league. But here's the thing. If, if you don't score, you don't win. Yeah. If you're not winning games, you're not getting high on the table. So at some point, you have to score. You can be the best defensive team in the world, but if you can't get one goal, yeah. then you're never going to get three points. You're always going to be getting draws. So it's kind so of just you... how the game is set up that it it favor favors attackers being more important than goalies. So that's why I would say Owasa is number one, number one. Cohen was number two. Yeah. This year, that's not the case. No, it isn't. I mean, I think he's still... Might just need a couple games. Might he just needs to get in his groove? I don't know what it's like to be. He, he's an he's an elite athlete. They fall out of form. It just happens. I'm confident that he can recover that form and continue to pro, to play at the highest level. Is are you feeling the same way, or do you feel like, nope, this is USL. We are a tougher league. It sucks that you can't perform right now. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> so I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about on this episode is going to be uh, kind of left with this statement. We'll see after yeah. this next Reno game and the El Paso game. Yeah. Like, you know, when you hear about, um, you know, like owners of teams, like big clubs in Europe saying, hey, like, like sitting down managers and saying like, you need to get a result in these next two games or you're fired. Obviously we're, we're not there, but it, I, I think the conversation between Simon Elliott and Josh Cohen is you've got these next few games mm-hmm. to kind of pull yourself out of this rut. Otherwise I'm going to need to start looking other places. I'm going to need to start looking at Rafa Diaz on the bench or maybe signing somebody uh, or getting somebody on loan, maybe for major league soccer. That's what I would say. Yeah. I think Cohen has earned that, but I think he's already on a tight leash. Mm-hmm. So I think his, the margin for error is that much more narrow. He's already given up, by our count, four goals from keeper error. Mm-hmm. And that's with us not really knowing a lot about keeping goalkeeping. Yeah. So that's what I would say. But on that same note, for the whole team, for the club together nolan Mm -hmm. do we think that this game the vegas game do we think these are just mental lapses for sacramento they lost focus or is it a characteristic of something bigger going on yeah that's a good question and i might so i will default to what you just said about right we need to see how the next two games go. Because if we get dumped out of the U.S. Open Cup and we lose to El Paso, that's a bad case. And that's just that's not just, oh, yeah. you know, we had an off day. That's, eh, this isn't the greatest team. And yeah. We have some major issues. Because what, what did we say last episode? There, At some point, you have to pick the games that are important. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you're playing Reno in the league and then three days later in the Open Cup. Yeah. And Reno's a good team. Now, you're playing them at home. But you have to pick which game is more important. 
it could be that maybe Awasa and Bijev could have gone for this game or at least been on the bench. But they said, you know what? No, we're going to rest them even more and have them ready for the Open Cup or for the El Paso game. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see the different lineup choices from this weekend game to the midweek game with Reno. Yeah. I think that really is going to show us where the priorities lie. Yeah. So yeah, it, I, if, if they, if the lineup comes out and they're like, Oh, they're, it, we can tell by the lineup that Sacramento is basically throwing this open cup game. Yeah. Because they're not doing well in the league and they want to have, they, they, they want to value the league more this year than they have. Uh, not that, not that they have in the past, but they want to value the league so much so that they're going to not worry about this open cup game. They realize that they couldn't fight. On they can't, they, they don't have the personnel this year. Yeah. Which is another thought about when do we start asking questions of front office staff, but we can get into that later. Yeah. If that's the case, then I kind of go, okay, cool. You, you, you've shown your hand. You don't value the open cup this year. You want to value the league, but that means you have to get a win away at El Paso, for me, mm-hmm. y- you've pretty much put all your eggs in that basket because you didn't get a result against Reno. So that means that you need to do well against El Paso to stay up in this playoff hunt. Yeah. If you're thinking, hey, you know what? It's still early. We can come back. You know what? It is still early. But we're... I mean, three points is three points. Point The point value at the beginning of the season is the same at the point value at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. You have to get points somewhere. You can't just keep saying, oh, well, we'll get it next game. We'll get it next game. Yeah. When this guy gets healthy, when that guy gets healthy, when this guy gets better form, we'll get points. That's not how professional sports works. No. You have to some at some point say, this isn't working. There's something wrong. Yeah. And that's the question we're asking. And it sounds like we're saying these next couple games are going to show us a lot. And then we'll see. Then we'll, then we'll come back and ask the question again. And it's... We are going to have a podcast where we discuss solely the the state of affairs at Sacramento mm. in Sacramento, and so we'll have a better sense of that after these next two next two games. But while we're speculate, while we're on the topic of speculating about um, those next two games, Scott, what do you expect tomorrow? Right, as we when we line up against Reno, yeah, or today if you're listening to this. So we're recording Tuesday oh, yeah. night as 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 our our normal. Um, so if you're listening to this, it's Wednesday, maybe before the game, you're trying to catch a preview. This is basically our preview. Um, we think we're going to have difficulty scoring. Mm. Like we just don't know where the goals come from. Yeah. If it's not from an amazing 35 yard blast (laughs) from a center back that took a bad touch and then just said, no, okay. Go for it. (laughs) Looks like I'm kicking it. Um, It was a great goal. That was fun to watch. Take nothing away from Tanner. Like, it was amazing, but I'm saying... That's not replicable. No. That that does not come from that's a not. pattern of play <laughs> yeah. that is organized in practice. Yeah. That's when that happens, that's, just that's the coach saying, Look, you have the green light if you think you can hit it. Yeah. Whatever. Or maybe the maybe he specifically said, Don't do that. Well, like we don't know. Instantly my mind went to Vincent Company did this against Leicester on Monday and or Tainer just did it better. Like yeah. and all of company's teammates were like don't shoot don't shoot yeah and then he shot it and he went in so it's kind of like just okay. a one in a you know 300 sh- times you go yeah. shoot that it goes in so anyway yeah um so that's probably not gonna happen again no 
unless it's Warner within the first 15 minutes. But that's almost not going to happen, I feel like, because Reno literally just played Sacramento. Yeah. They know what Sam Warner is going to do. If he even starts, we don't know. So I think we're going to have difficulty scoring. But what do you think about the rotation? Now that we've kind of talked about it a little bit, do you think they're going to rotate a lot? Do you think they're going to rotate a little? This is basically answering the question, do they value the Open Cup? Yeah. Because Um, if they value it, they don't rotate that much yeah they, only a couple i people. don't know who you would change i mean that's a good question actually if they do rotate what are they, what are they oh wait if they do rotate if who they, they do play? rotate who are they rotating out so jaime villarreal didn't start yeah wait so who do they play if they don't care if they win or if they're just like you know what? if we win great if not we're saving our players I, I don't even know if that's the question i think the question is who can they afford to put in to rotate uh, for, so for me, Jaime Villarreal is one. Chancepulos, Chancepulos back maybe for Bonomo because he's old. Yeah, Bonomo put him in for for uh, Blackwood. The um, new left back. Do you do you throw him out there in a must win? Pretty much a must. Wolves. It is a must win. It's a must win situation. I mean, maybe just to Barahona. get minutes. And you're like, you know, I don't care if you win or lose. Just run for ninety minutes. So you, okay, so maybe if Barahona is out there, that's a sign that the game isn't taken as seriously. Yeah. Or yeah. is it a sign that they take it more seriously because you put your brand new shiny guy out there? I'd have to look. Is Santa Tecla currently in season, or is this like his first game in three months? I don't know. Hmm, that's a good question. I should look that up. I think I think they play a, a normal schedule. Like a that mirrors MLS or mirrors that mirrors uh, the rest of the world. Oh. So they they're currently in play. I think so. They are. You're right. They are. Um, so yeah. So it's not like he hasn't played in forever. So he. Could, so that's yeah. So uh, he's fit. He should be. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. I really I don't like speculating on this game because I just don't know. <laughs> so well, let's. I, I'm actually just gonna pull up the roster, if we could. Like, he, here here were the guys that were on the bench against Reno. Okay, Bonomo, Chancepoulos, Rafa Diaz, Elliot Horde. That Elliot could be one. Horde. Jaime Villarreal, Mario Pinagos, a kid from the academy, yeah. Matt Mahoney, who got in. Didn't impress me. Mm, no. Uh, whatever. Not quite I, his fault, though. No, it wasn't. And he played I for got, eight minutes. It's not like... Yeah. But, I mean, outside of Bijev and Awasa, who, who else... Do we really have that we feel comfortable putting in there? Yeah. I mean, it's not like, yeah. Barring a, a big formation change. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I don't know if they can afford to rotate. <laughs> if they really can. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the squad that is put out isn't a good representation of how they value the Open Cup. It might yeah. be a bigger. Just like we don't have 11 players to switch out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that that's gonna happen tomorrow. We will see. I honestly have no clue how, and we don't know how Reno is gonna take it either. Like that's true. They're also not like they're not like definitively the top four team in the West. Like they're just as kind of uh, within two or three points of of dropping out of the two points, three points. Three points, two points. We've been talking for 32 minutes. I oh. just wanted to tell you. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> uh, 
Well, dang. Anyway, so we don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna line up. Anyway, but we do know one thing, and that's that Sacramento will be playing El Paso this Saturday. Yep, in El Paso. Yep, this Saturday. Uh, and Scott, uh, how do you think that's gonna go? Well, I did some research. Uh, I've watched research. Research. I've done a couple of uh, watched a couple of games, not full games. Um, the the most recent one I watched was El Paso's most recent game against uh, New Mexico United, which the the announcers did something that I really I really don't like. Hmm. It's when there's kind of that like manufactured rivalry. So if you look on a map, aren't they both new teams? They are both new teams. But if you look on a map, New Mexico, like Albuquerque, is pretty much directly above El Paso. Oh. Even though one's in New Mexico and one's in Texas, they're pretty much directly uh, like above each other. Or mm. one is above the other. So they're pretty close. And the announcers were saying, like, oh, this is a rivalry match. Here we go. Get ready for an exciting game. And I was like, well, they're both new teams. I don't think it's a rivalry match. But... At halftime, there was a, a little clip that the team, El Paso, showed. And it was basically describing how these cities in sports have had actually a bit of rivalry. Mainly, it's been college. Hmm. The El Paso and New Mexico, whatever the colleges there are, um, play in the same conference. And because they are close, there's a bit of a, a rivalry. So I was like, okay, the, there cool. is some known dislike for the cities so this isn't maybe 100 percent a manufactured rivalry mm. the fans feel it and on the field you could tell the players felt it because there was definitely some chippiness in the second half two players were sent off i saw that yeah within the same minute so there was okay you know when like professional soccer players do the, do that thing where like somebody gets fouled and they stand up and they like put their arms down they're like hey man what? And they're yeah, like talking yeah, to yeah. them and then the the two will have like a coming together, and one of them like okay. slightly puts their head forward. Yeah, that's what happened, and they both got sent off. That sucks. Yeah, nobody went down and was like, "Oh, oh my face!" Yeah. But it was it was kind of like the ref the ref like... sent off the first guy. Yeah, that was a bit more aggressive. Uh, in air quotes, he wasn't really aggressive. They were just like talking back to each other. Yeah, and then the team captain for the other team came over and was like, "Hey." This was a pretty 50-50. You need to send off the other guy too. And he was like, he was kind of like talking to him for a minute and then like walked over and sent off the yeah, okay. the New Mexico, uh, the, sorry, the El Paso player as well. Okay. Sent off the New Mexico guy first and then the El Paso one a couple minutes later. Hmm. So I can't remember which player was sent off. Maybe no one can look that up while I'm talking. But um, so they won't be playing against us. That player won't be playing. That against one us player. That that was my whole point. <laughs> that one player will not be playing against Sacramento. But there will be a lot of other guys that are playing against Sacramento. Let me just read off a couple of the stats that stood out to me. Okay, Yuma will not be playing against us. Yuma, right back. Oh, piss. Or I think he's a he's a, he's a midfielder or he's a defender. I can't okay. watch. He's going to be a striker. Yeah. Um, Okay, so El Paso leads the league in passes per match, 430. Just to put that in context, the second in the league is Swope Park Rangers with 388. So there's a 40-ish pass difference between the first and the second. The third is like, like the third uh, person or team in the league has like 
385 or something. So they're like right next to yeah. El Paso. Or sorry, uh, Swope Park. So El Paso does pass the ball a lot, which would lead you to think that they have possession a lot. Well, that's true because they also lead the league in possession, 58.2%, which is right around a few other teams, about 58, 57%. Yeah. Sacramento has about 50.4%, so less. So Sacramento going on the road to a team that likes to possess and pass the ball around. Don't expect Sacramento to have a lot of the ball. Let them have it. Let, let them have it. So I think right off the bat, we can probably expect Sacramento to come out in a 4-2-3-1, not just because of injury problems that we've been having, but also because that is set up to be a bit more defensive, which Sacramento feels like they're going to have to do a little bit more of this game, which if Cohen is able to like play like he's has been, um, and last season, I mean, and our center backs can effectively communicate yeah. when marking that players. Was, that was that one. The first goal against Reno was pretty bad. Yeah, you yeah. could see Tanner was kind of waving Keenan forward. Was, yeah. And Keenan just kind of stood, stood there, there like a grandpa. Um, <laughs> so we, I think we'll be okay, especially because from what I can tell, El Paso likes to cross the ball. If there's one thing that Tanner and Keenan can deal with, it's a crossed ball. Oh, yeah. I think. We'll see. Um, James except Kiffey, for the first goal against Reno. Except for that first goal. Well, that's like that's a low cross. I'm talking about crossing in the air. Okay. Balls in the air. Yeah. yeah. James Kiffey, uh, there might be a name that people remember, sent a I lot know. of crosses in for Sacramento and is now doing it for El Paso and looks just fine doing it. Um, another name that people might be familiar with is Jerome Kiesewetter. He... If I remember correctly, had one or two call-ups for the U.S. men's national team, appeared in one game, looked looked okay, played a lot with the U23s, um, and I believe he went to Stanford as well. Hmm. I tried to fact-check myself, couldn't find anything, so don't quote me on it, but I remember him at one time playing with Jordan Morris, who was also at Stanford. Jordan Morris, now the Seattle Sounders forward. U.S. Men's National Team forward. So, Jerome Kiesewetter came over from the German second division, played in the German second and third division for a few years, and is now a starter on a USL championship team, which I think shows that the level of maybe USL has risen, that there's now players that can go over to Germany like not like lower leagues like fourth or fifth division but like hey you were good enough at one point to be you signed for Augsburg or Osberg or yeah to be signed by German second division teams for a few years and then come back like mm-hmm. obviously it didn't work out otherwise he'd still be over there but i just think that that shows that that caliber of player thinks USL is a legit option to yeah. further their career yeah um so that's kind of El Paso in a quick a, a quick snapshot. There's a bit more to them. I think they like to play very fast, which is not good against Sacramento because we have slow center backs. We have slow center backs and if there's anyone with a little bit of pace, I think El Paso will set up to exploit that. Yeah. They also 
like to get their wingers in. A, so they play a four four two. They like to get their wingers up behind opposing team center backs, and then in possession they love to push their center back or their fullbacks way up the field. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I I think this is potentially another trap game, potentially. If Sacramento is only focusing on the Reno Open Cup game mm-hmm. and thinking, gosh, how are we going to beat them? And they're not thinking about El Paso at all, mm-hmm. then that concerns me. Especially because El Paso is coming off this rivalry game and they played, I believe, tonight in the Open Cup, actually. El Paso. I think El Paso played forward Madison. Like Madison, Wisconsin, which yeah. I thought the, the the Open Cup was supposed to be like geographically based, and I'm pretty sure Madison, Wisconsin, and El Paso, Texas are on opposite ends of the country, like north and south wise. Um, Did Tulsa played today? Mm-hmm. So, um, that that's El Paso plays Madison tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. Yeah. Excuse me, tomorrow. Okay. So that's another. That's one thing to note that. They are coming off a, a midweek game just like Sacramento. Against not another championship team, though. True. Not another championship. It's a League One team. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And they drew against New Mexico, who currently still lead the league? I think they're in second. I think Portland has overtaken. Uh, because Portland had a 4-1 win against Tacoma. Shout out to our one fan from the Tacoma, Tacoma area. Tacoma area. Lake Bonnie. Lake Bonnie. I'm looking up the table. Not yeah. like it really matters. It's. So, yep, so totally. that's kind of the quick shot tactical preview of El Paso. But, Nolan, you have some notes about kind of just Texas soccer yeah. that you wanted to talk about for a minute. So go ahead and take that away. Yeah, it was just something that got me thinking as I was just reading up on El Paso. Um, they're an expansion team located El Paso's in Texas, for those of us who didn't know that. Um, I was like, wow, there's a lot of soccer teams in Texas because we have Austin, we have El Paso, we have uh, Rio Grande Valley. And then we have uh, the two MLS teams. And, yeah, I was just like, what the heck? What's going on there? So I did a little comparison of uh, Texas to California. And I, the ratio of teams to people in this state. And Texas has the most teams to person ratio of any state in the United States states did you really do all the math of like all probably like 40 states well i didn't go to like new like connecticut or massachusetts and maybe it is from Massachusetts. maybe i should maybe i should wait well for all the states that had more than one team oh okay i was like more than one mls and usl team okay so all the states that have multiple multiple first and second division u.s soccer teams so like multiple like two mls two usl or like no just like an mls and a usl there's not many it's really? like, yeah, it's like Texas, California, Florida, uh, Ohio has two MLS teams, but it was still like 6 million people per team. And then, uh, Chicago only has a fire and yeah. So you're saying that, that Texas has the most, the most people per team. Sorry. They have the least amount of people per team, which means they like have the most teams per capita yeah i didn't formulate this no that's right that well is that right they have them they would have the most teams per capita to most teams per capita yeah so um yeah apparently they like soccer in texas which shouldn't surprise anyone i don't think like it's a big state soccer is a great sport right i mean there's 
Texans but, are just like overly competitive about yeah, their just, sports. They just like their sports in yeah. general. Um, but yeah, and it's interesting they're going to have three MLS teams with with Austin having that that MLS bid, and then three USL teams because they'll have um, San, Antonio, San Antonio, El Paso, yeah. and Rio Grande Valley. Yeah, yeah. So that's just interesting. Um, and SC Dallas has an amazing academy system, one yeah. of the best in the country. Just sold a guy to the Bundesliga or something like that. Mm-hmm. Chris and Richards, yeah. Chris Richards, and then Houston Dynamo won the U.S. Open Cup, which you mentioned last episode, and they have a smallest budget in the MLS. Yeah. Crazy. Um, They're probably about to sell a guy for a, a cool, like, $8 million. Money. They'll get to some cash in. another MLS team? To uh, probably Europe. Ooh. Yeah. His name's Albert Elise. He's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was so. So you think that there's maybe something in the water down there in Texas? Down there in Texas, there has to be. Yeah, San Antonio is not doing too hot right now. Neither is Rio Grande Valley, but but it's okay. There's soccer teams. Yeah, there's soccer teams. That's all that matters. And there's people out there watching those soccer. There teams. are. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I should have looked at man. There's so much more I could have done with that stat, but that was that. Yeah. Someone else take it and run with it, and you know, write a doctoral thesis on why <laughs> Texans love soccer. I don't know. Yeah, it's just interesting to me. But that's what I came up with. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Well, Nolan? Have we exceeded our time limit, Scott? No, we are right at 45 minutes. Perfect. Which is where, which is where we try to end most shows yeah. is at 45. Yeah. Unlike last show, which went super long. Very much too long. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, is there anything else that you want to... Is there any closing thought that you want to leave with? Yes. Uh, if we sounded confused and discombobulated and just unsure of how this is gonna go it's because we are like this this stretch of games is just so weird it's season defining yeah it's season defining and it it feels like we're in the middle of a story right now and we can't like we can't be like oh the season's over or oh this team's brilliant or whatever like the jury's out we have to see what happens in in sacramento against reno and in el paso um before we can sit down and evaluate like the squad, the front office staff, the manager, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do will assure you that after these two results, after these two games are played, um, we'll have more to say. Yeah. So we we do want to kind of let you know, there is a week, um, I think it's next week, mm-hmm. where well, we there, is, there is no game the following Saturday. Yeah. So there's nothing for us to readily preview. So the plan is to answer some of these kind of big questions that we have about the club next week. Mm-hmm. And also have a little treat for you as well. Maybe we'll, mm-hmm. we're going to have to see if we're able to pull it together. But that is the plan for next week. My last thought is this. We're going to really, we've, not we are going to, but we really have missed Cameron Awasa. Oh. If anyone said no, that our system is better than one player, mm-hmm. apparently it's not. Yeah. Which I think, without getting too much in it, because we're going to talk about it next week, maybe says something about the coaching in the front office staff. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Mm. Just saying. Because mm. there are other teams, like the Houston Dynamo, yeah. which can lose a player and maybe still be okay. Be FC kind. Dallas, also probably the same way. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Well, I do agree that we miss him. I miss him. <laughs> but, <laughs> Nolan just sounded like like a lost puppy. Yeah, I miss my mom. <laughs> I miss 
My mom. I miss Cameron Awatha. I miss Cameron Awatha. I miss <laughs> scoring goals, not from defenders in big games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Cool. Thank you, Scott. Yep. Well, that is the end of our show. We will see you guys next week. As always, glory, glory, Sacramento. Sacramento.